0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family, and let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com, and remember that we can make a difference by loving people. Church, I'm so glad that you joined us again today. Um, we're starting a new series and the series is called Dress Code for Life. Now, I'm convinced um, that most of you have probably experienced what I'm going to share with you right now uh, or you've seen it in a movie. It's, it's that experience where you go to a restaurant, you're taking your wife out on date night, and you should do that. If you're taking your wife out on a date night and you're taking it to this extremely expensive, beautiful restaurant and you show up at the restaurant, you wore your best jeans, only to find out from the host in the restaurant that there is actually a specific dress code. Uh, he walks up to you, looks you up and down, gives you one of those looks of you're not getting into this place looking like that. And then he tells you that he unfortunately cannot help you, even though that you made the reservation months in advance. And then he turns you away. We've seen this in movie scenes. In the movie scenes, sometimes you see them thrown out of the building. And then what they would do is they would go stand by the glass and they would look through the glass as the people bring the food and they would like look at the food. And then what happens is the host would see them and it would send out, The chef with a big um, knife, and then he would chase them away. Now I don't know if you know this, but Christianity and the fruit that God speaks about for us as believers in God, we actually have a dress code. In order to enjoy a kingdom life, there is a dress code. Now there are some people who are believers and who who want. They want a a life, a kingdom-filled life. They want it. But for some other reason, they just can't get it. And they are looking at other people who are enjoying it. And many people wonder why. Why do they get to live lives filled with joy? Why do they get to live lives filled with peace and hope? And health and riches and relationship, why do they get it and we don't? I think it's because most of us, we are not dressed appropriately. We are not in the appropriate Christian dress code. We are not submitting our lives to the dress code required for a kingdom life. There is a dress code required for kingdom life. And the dress code is not restrictive and it's not to confine you or to hold you back. It's God instructions to us on how to live life. So the series is called Dress Code for Life, and we will explore and discover together because I'm growing and learning through this, reminding myself again. We will grow together in regards to what is the appropriate dress code for believers based on God's instructions from his word. Important thing to mention is that it is for life, meaning life For life, life is good. Dress code for ah, life, life, good life, but also meaning dress code for life. Like, you don't just put it on once. It is every day until you die. It is dress code for until you die. Now, I remember growing up, um, we had a, a family tradition. On Sundays, we would go to church. And after church, my mom would cook a fantastic lunch and we would have a big Sunday lunch and we would eat lunch. And then there was a house rule. Everybody had to go nap for two hours, which I think we should bring that rule back. That's a great rule. Nap for two hours. But every Sunday afternoon at three o'clock, my dad would stand up, would take out his chessboard and would start walking over to his corner. Then my grandfather and my grandmother would come over. The car would pull in. My dad would sit down, he would open up his chessboard, and he would start packing out the chess pieces. My mom would serve us tea and cake. My grandfather would walk in, he would give us a little grunt, like a little hello, but he wasn't really focused on us at all. That's not why he's there. He would walk over to the corner where my dad was, he would sit down across my dad, they'd give each other the nod, And he would start packing out his chess pieces also. And they would start playing games back and forth the whole time. For two hours, every Sunday, they would play chess. I used to sit at the edge of the table, looking, staring at the board, trying to learn the game, trying to figure out how it's all working. Eventually, I I learned the game and know how it works. But I was not allowed to speak or ask any questions. I wasn't allowed to ask, why did you make that move? because they were trying to outsmart their opponent. And you could usually see which one of the two was in control of the game, just by their posture. And when they make a move and they sit back, kind of looking at the other person with a little grin on their face, is like, did you see that one coming? No, you didn't. They, they would look like that. And, and it's, you could always tell kind of who was in control, who was winning. But here's the thing about chess. Within one move, you can lose the game one bad move can cause your whole strategy to fall apart you can win the game with one good move also there's a famous story and the story is about a chess champion and this chess champion went on holiday in europe and he loved art he loved going to art galleries and he would go from the one art gallery to the next. As the story goes, he ended up this one art gallery where there was a painting on the wall and the painting was called Checkmate. The painting was about the devil and a young boy playing chess. And the devil was sitting back in his chair, kind of like the one that looks like he's busy winning the game. He's, he's got victory. He's, he's got control of the game. He's sitting back, relaxed. And then across from his opponent, the young boy, had, had drops of sweat on the side of his head. His hands were at his mouth. He was staring intently at the chessboard. And you could see that the young man was losing. It seems like there was a lot going on. And it seems like there was a lot on the line. And there was. Life was on the line. So the chess champion stood in front of this painting for hours just looking at it. After a couple of hours, he knelt down, took his chessboard out of his backpack, laid it on on the ground in front of the painting. He put out the chess pieces. He looked at the painting. He looked at the chessboard. He looked up at the painting. Again, to make sure that all the pieces are exactly at the right spots on the chessboard. He looked up at the painting one more time and he said, Young man, I sure wish that you can hear me right now because there is one move left in the game and it's your move. And this move, this is the winning move. See, a lot of us have been convinced in our thinking that the devil is winning. We are convinced that he and not us get to make the final moves in our lives many think that he is the one that determines our joy he is the one currently determining our happiness our future and our hope too many people it seems like think that he is busy running the show and you don't just come right out and say it like oh the devil's defeating me no you don't but we can hear it and we can sense it in your conversation and certainly it is suggested in the way that you are living life because in your thinking you have lost you've lost your dreams you've lost your plans you've lost your purpose you've lost your hope now I'm here to tell you today that I have good news for you because you and not him get to make the final move for your life Now, to understand that, to understand that final move, we have to understand something that is called spiritual warfare. Dr. Tony Evans speaks about spiritual warfare in his book called Spiritual Warfare. And the series is based on a lot of information I found in that book. But in order to understand spiritual warfare, we have to go back. We have to reset the chessboard, reset the pieces. And go back to the beginning, because the Old Testament, when we look at it, it's really about moves and counter moves. God made the first move when he created um, the angels. Lucifer countered God's move by rebelling against God and taking one third of the angels with him. God countered that move by making man in his image and by giving him dominion over the earth. Satan rebelled against that move by getting Adam and Eve to sin and to turn dominion of the earth over back to him. God covered that move by delivering a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness. So Satan countered that move by getting Cain to kill Abel in order to cut off God's godly line. So then God countered that move with the birth of Seth, so that men began to call on the name of the Lord again. Satan counted that move through the birth of Nimrod, who built the civilization of Babylon in Syria, who gathered to build a religion in defiance of God. But God went to a man by the name of Abraham of the Chaldeans saying, out of you will come my nation that will obey me and they will be in covenant with me. Satan played his chess piece so that that people that God chose will be Captured into slavery for 400 years in Egypt with Pharaoh refusing to let them go. God countered that move of Satan by, by the birth of Moses saving his life. Moses being raised up in the palace knowing their ways and being the one that lets the people out of slavery and out of Egypt. See, this whole thing in the Old Testament is is about move, counter-move, move, move, counter-move. There's move and counter-moves all over the place. And, And we don't really know the plans. If you're just watching the game, you don't know what's going on in the minds of the people who are playing the game and what their plans are. So as we keep going through the Old Testament, we get to a place in Micah where there's 400 years of silence, 400 years of no moves, It seems like God is not making any more moves. It seems like they are at a stalemate where both sides are just staring at the board, hoping to find a move. That's when we get to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, in in Matthew, it's all the begats, right? It starts with the begats. But then we get to Joseph, who married Mary from whom is born Jesus Christ. And up up until this time, God would find a man and use a man. But now God is like tired of these games. And he says, listen, I'm coming down to, to take control and take care of this mess myself. So God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Satan saw that move and he counted that move by tempting Jesus, the Son of God, in the wilderness. Jesus counted that move by using the Word of God against Satan. But then Satan made a final move, and it seemed like this final move was the knockout punch. It was the checkmate. Because what he did is Jesus, the Son of God, got nailed to a cross and died. And it was like an uppercut. It seems like he won, he sat back in his chair, but that's when God made The final move. You see, early on Easter Sunday morning, just before the break of day, the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose from the dead, and the final move for life was made. Jesus resurrected from the grave, victory in Jesus Christ's resurrection. The move that Satan could not see coming, but the move that defeated him. Now, that move, that move is your move. No matter what's going on in the world right now, that move of Jesus, that's your move. Why? Because the Bible says, I am crucified in Christ, therefore I no longer live but Jesus Christ now lives in me. See, Jesus risen from the grave was God's final move for victory and that is your move for victory also. But we need to learn how to use that move. I don't know what's in your world. I don't know what's in your life. I don't know your struggles. But in this series, I will share with you how to use your move. In Ephesians 6 verse 10, It starts off by saying a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits, in the heavenly places now listen to me people people are not your problem I know you think that they are your problem because they are the ones that you see touch experience but according to verse 12 of Ephesians 6 whatever is going on in your world right now people are merely the fruit he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood the battles we have in our life Whatever they may be, are not fundamentally physical in nature, even though it appears as being physical. He says our battle is against principalities located. In heavenly places. Now we have to understand what he's talking about. Too many of us when we read that. It's like "Ah, I don't know what he's saying. Let's understand the scripture. Because it is a powerful scripture. For you to have the right dress code for life. Now the word heavenly places means. Spiritual realm. Heavenly places. Spiritual realm. Heavenly realm. Same thing. Whatever is going on. Has gone on. Will be going on. Is rooted first its root is first in the spiritual realm it's rooted first in the heavenly places even though it might feel like it's happening in front of you right now what's happening in front of you right now the root of what is happening is in the heavenly places if you don't know how to navigate that realm you can't fix this realm see spiritual warfare can simply be defined as the conflict that takes place in the invisible realm that affects what is going on in our visible realm. It's the battle of the unseen that are responsible for the battles in the scene. The battle of what we can't see in the heavenly realm is responsible for the battles in the physical realm. What's happening in the world of your five senses has been created in the world that you can't see. But if you can't navigate that world, you can't fix this world. Now, for some of you, this sounds like airy-fairy, the unseen, seen. It's like, what are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. It... Listen, even for people who aren't believers, your problems, your, your difficulties, the things that you are struggling with, your battles... They are not th- things that are necessarily seen. It's your emotions, it's your past hurts, it's your depression, it's your pain, it's your insecurity, it's your fear, it's your anger, it's your uncertainty, it's the guilt. Those are the things that drive the problems that are in your life. They are unseen. So yes, believers and unbelievers, your fight is in the un- unseen. But hear me when I say this. There is a battle that is taking place. Please hear me. There is a battle in the spiritual realm. And even if you deny that battle, it won't eliminate it. It's not going to cause it to go away. There is a battle for your life. Heavenly places is a phrase he uses to describe where activities are taking place. It is the root of them. In Ephesians 3, he says the following, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? So he's saying, we have been blessed in the heavenly places with Christ. Your blessings, get this, your blessings are located where? In the heavenly places. Everything that God is doing for you is located in the unseen realm. Every promise, everything you will ever need, or come your way, comes from the heavenly places. He says this about Jesus in Ephesians um, 1. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly places. He says, your blessings, they are in the heavenly places. And he says, Jesus, the one who's risen from the dead, where is he? He is in heavenly places. So let's understand, your blessings, heavenly places, Jesus heavenly places. So if you want to get to Jesus, you got to get to where he is. Where is he? He is in the spiritual realm, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 2, 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. Where are you seated? In heavenly places. Okay, recap. Our blessings are in heavenly places. Jesus seated in heavenly places. You are seated with him in heavenly places so where are so so where you are physically seated it's not the only place where you are located you're equally located in another realm heavenly places so Ephesians 3:10 says God's purposes in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. These are good unseen rulers and authorities. He's talking about angels. He says, your angels, angels are in the heavenly places. Now understand this, you need your angel. Some of you didn't know that you've got an angel. If you are a believer, you've been assigned at least one angel. He's assigned to you. Hebrews 1.14 says that the angels are assigned to believers as ministering spirits. You have at least one angel assigned to you to operate on your behalf in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, you have someone who knows that realm better than you do and who knows how to operate there on your behalf. Recap, your blessings are where? Heavenly places. Jesus is where? Heavenly places. You are seated where with him? heavenly places where's your angels heavenly places last one ephesians six twelve. for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places so that means, now don't be scared by this. He's saying that there are evil spirits in the heavenly places. That means that every Christian, those of you that are watching, you have been assigned a demon. He is assigned to you and his job is to make sure that hell breaks loose in your life. His job is to make sure that Satan has his way with you. He is assigned To watch you. The enemy is watching your game tape. To find out your weaknesses and to exploit them. So the demonic knows your weak spots. He knows what happened to you as a child. He knows what lowered your self-esteem. He knows what bullies have done to you and that's affecting your spirit and your mood. He knows your sin patterns that have developed over your life um, that invites the demonic into them. And he knows about the issues and the abuses to you and from you that are operating in your world. And they have one job. And their job is that everything that they know about you is to exploit it. They identify your weakness and then they exploit them. Your family weaknesses. Because there is game tape on your family. So let's review. Jesus, seated in heavenly places. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Your blessings, heavenly places. Angels, heavenly places. Demons, heavenly places. It seems to me that... What's happening is there. What's happening in your life is in heavenly places. See, see the problem is it's manifested here. See, all the physical world does is it manifests what's happening in the spiritual world. If you want to change something in your physical world, change it in the spiritual world. If you are unaware of that world and you are unaware of how that world works, then all that you are left with is what's physically in front of you. But the problem is the physical can't fix the physical. If the problem started, in the spiritual. So we spend all our time and we spend our money and we spend it on counseling and efforts and strength and we try to do better. But, but the problem is when the problem is originated in the spiritual heavenly places, you can't fix it in the physical. So if you want to fix what's manifesting in the physical but started in the spiritual, you got to go to the spiritual, which is the location of the problem. Now, the enemy wants you to live in the world of the five senses. That's his scheme. That's his mandate. Just think about what you can touch, feel, see. Why? Because he doesn't want you to solve the problem. He wants you to sweat and battle and feel defeated, feel lost. He wants you to look at the chessboard and say, I give up. He wants you to fix your eyes on the five senses. and, And he doesn't want you to discover... The root problem. See, if you want to fix the visible, you have to address the invisible and spiritual. Failure to address the invisible and the cause has led led to most and all of the problems that are remaining in your life. He says, we are in a battle. You and I, we are in a battle. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. He says he wants us to stand firm against the schemes and the strategies of the devil. And the devil has a strategy and a scheme. And his scheme is to keep your eyes focused on just what you see. Schemes means deceptive strategies. Satan's ways are to deceive he operates with the sleight of hand. He wants you to get your attention away from where the problem is so that you try and fix it where you can't fix it. The Bible says, for an example, when he came to Adam and Eve and tempted them, he came in the form of a snake. He came in the snake, the serpent, because it was crafty. He wanted the attention to be on the craftiness of the snake. Your problem right now and the way it seems, is not. it doesn't seem it's invisible. It doesn't seem like your problem is in the invisible realm. Your problem right now is in the visible. The vehicle. Whatever shape or form your trouble came in. See, Satan needs vehicles to distract us. The serpent was the vehicle he used to bring Adam and Eve to disobey God. He knows as long as As you are, for what purpose? Why does he want us us distracted? Why doesn't he want us to live victorious lives? His purpose is for us to remove ourselves from God's covering. Because as long as I am under God's umbrella, under God's covering, he can't get to me. But the moment I relocate myself away from God's covering, I am exposed and the enemy can attack me. So he sets traps. He wants to trap you. He wants to trick you. And he wants you to see things from his perspective. Now, this is something that you have to know. The only power that Satan and demons have is the power that you give them. That's the only power they have. Why? Because they have already been defeated. They've already lost. The victory is already yours. And that's not just the song. The problem is... If they are defeated, why am I not winning? Why are you not winning? See, anything that they can do, they do because we've told them it's okay to do. Whatever they are doing, it's because you've told them it's okay to do it. See, there's a dress code that protects us from this. But if we don't dress appropriately, We give them permission to do things in our lives. See, they need a body. They they need something to loan themselves to. They can't work just on their own. They need a body to work to and through. And the only power they have is the power that people grant them in their lives. The only reason they can bring hell into your life is because you've given them the permission to do it. If it's going on right now, and and I'm sorry to say this because this might bring like some hurt and it might even bring some offense into your life. It's because you've said it's okay. You have told them through sin and circumstances, you, you told them, it's okay for you to rule my mind, my thoughts. It's okay for you to rule my world. It's okay for you to rule my emotions. It's okay for you to rule my will. I give you permission to tell me that I'm not really a man, even though I was born male. I give you permission, enemy, to tell me that I'm not really a woman, even though I was born a female. Enemy, I give you permission to tell me that I should wake up in the morning depressed, walk around depressed, go to bed depressed, and the next day, just do the same thing again. I want to go as far as to say, now don't be offended, but, but much of what we call mental illness are demons that have been given permission to drive us crazy. And I'm not saying that things are not real and, and that you aren't experiencing it, but a lot of what we call physical, chemical reaction is really just the result of demonic performance. See, demons have been allowed to roam free, so the chemicals have gone crazy. Yes, there are ex- exemptions to that, but whatever you are going through right now, until you address the spiritual, you really don't know what is physical and chemical. See, and, and whatever is going on in your thoughts and in your thinking and in your body, whatever, until you address. The spiritual, you really don't know which part of what I'm going through is physical. We assume it's physical because it's physical. But listen, if it started in the spiritual, you are only, and you are only addressing it in the physical. You never get to the problem because You've given the enemy permission to just stay and make himself at home in that area. And then you just start to live with it. And this happens through worldviews, through, through schemes, through deceptive programs of the devil. The devil operates by, by consent and cooperation. So people say, well, um, you know, you shouldn't be so demon conscious. I'm not, but I think most of us have a problem because we are demon unconscious. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Bible says we wrestle against the unseen world of evil. And you have been assigned an enemy, a demon in the unseen. And their job is to keep you from experiencing your life that, should, that you should have in God. And they are good at it. You are not their first assignment and neither am I. And they don't die when you pass away. They just go on to the next family member. That's why, parents, it's so important for us to equip our kids. That's why there's such a thing as generational curses. I'm not saying that you have a generational curse, but but please hear me. The enemy knows how you were raised. He knows how your father was raised and your family was raised and the traditions in your home. And he influences how to influence you to step into that sin because it's the same way he influenced your daddy to step into it and your daddy's daddy. So we, so we can't really go any further in this teaching if, If you don't accept this, you can't really go any further in fixing your problems if you don't accept the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's in heavenly places. And in order to live a victorious life, we have to be dressed in heavenly places appropriately to win the battle in the physical. Now I know there's a lot of information and I encourage you to watch this teaching again. We will continue on next week because this is so foundational for us as believers. So important for you to know because you have a move. It's the move of Jesus Christ that was resurrected from the grave and that's given you victory. But unless you know how to use that move, you will constantly feel like you are defeated. And that's not where you will find life. So please join us next week again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have equipped us with everything we need to live life God, I pray that throughout this teaching that you will stir up in our hearts and in our minds the willingness to bring the change that we have to bring to our lives so that we can be equipped to live life to the fullest. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. See you next week. Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message.